This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I will be your host today. Joining us today for the second time in a row is another Caston-Smith, except this time it's Leah Caston-Smith. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> All right, so we were editing the podcast on parenting and doing the fifth commandment when Leah was like, I'd like to be on the podcast. And I was like, oh, come on, you know, you'd have to come up with some really good questions. And so on her own, she went and came up with a list of questions um, that Laura says are, are really good questions. And so I am eager to talk about these and we made the rule that we weren't going to like rehearse all of these questions out so that it sounded conversational and on the fly. So let's have a conversation. You ready, Leah? Yes. All right, cool. So the first question you have is what will it be like in heaven? What will it be like in heaven? What do you think? What do you know about heaven? Well, I've read revelation once and I've heard that the throne that God goes on mm-hmm. and that there's two trees next to it. Why do you think, that the, what fruit. are the two trees for? I think they're just like the fruit of the spirit or. You're close. Like it talks the, about there being fruitfulness in heaven, but think about the garden of Eden. Yes. What was in the garden of Eden? How many trees? Multiple. There were multiple trees, but at the center of the garden of Eden, there were how many trees? Two. One, One. was Go ahead. good with normal fruit. And then the other was the, Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Very good. So it was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you get to heaven, when it says, hey, there's the throne of God, and it's like, oh, God is dwelling with man again, except there's two trees again. But you know what it says in Revelation about those two trees is they are both trees of life. Life, right? So in earth, there was a possibility of a fall. In the Garden of Eden, there was there was a tree where it could have caused humanity to fall. But in heaven... That can't happen because everything is about life. Life. That's right. Okay. So what else? Um, I've heard that God is the sun instead of there actually being a real sun like today. Mm -hmm. When you say that God is going to be the light, that's one of the things that a lot of people get frustrated about when they read about the creation story, because it says on the very first day, what does God create on day one? Do you remember? God said, let there be light. Let there be light, right? But then it's not until day four that he creates the sun, moon, and stars. And a lot of people are like, that can't be right because there's, how can there be light if there's no sun, moon, or stars? Because in our world, all the light comes from the sun, the sun, moon, and stars, right? And so what God is saying, even from the beginning of Genesis is if God said, let there be light before he ever created, you know, the things in the sky, where'd that light come from? I don't know. Where did it have to come from? There's nothing in existence besides God. So who is who brings forth the light? God. And so what he's saying is just as it was in the beginning, he's the source of all light before the sun, moon, and stars. And in Revelation, guess what? There's no need of the sun anymore. God is the light. God's the light. His glory shines forth all places. 
like he made the light in the That's beginning. Right. He is the light. That's right. And so a lot of the things that we know about heavenly are like telling us that we're going to return to Eden, except it's going to be way better there. There's no tree of knowledge. There's no tree of death there. It's only life. That has been paid for. Yeah, totally paid for. You know what else? What else? What else? I remember us having a conversation about, oh, gosh, probably a year ago now where I was asking you, I don't know if you, how well you remember this, but I was asking you about what will be in heaven that we see here, what won't be in heaven that is in our current world. And you said to me that you don't think there would be cars in heaven. And then you gave a reason to me that I still to this day remember and think is awesome. Do you remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. What'd you say? I said that instead of cars, instead of cars rushing past, going everywhere they need to go, People would walk together to share the moment, to be <laughs> slower, to have more time together, so yeah. that n- not everything's a rush. And that's like unbelievably insightful for a girl. I think you were eight at the time to be able to recognize that part of the fallen and broken nature of our world is that we rush around all the time and we don't have time for people and people, you know, they're too messy. And so I don't, I don't want to get involved with anybody. I just want to get from point A as fast as I can to point B so that it can be over with. And your eight-year-old mind came up with something that I thought was pretty amazing, that in heaven, you're going to enjoy one another again. There's not going to be all the sin and selfishness that pushes people away. You're going to want the trip to take longer so that you can enjoy that person. You don't want to rush through it. And in our world, we rush through everything. And so for you to think that, that was pretty awesome. What else? No sadness. There's just happiness in mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah. It's no rushing. I also have another question. Of do you know what the first thing, before we move on, do you know what the first thing, when we get to heaven, do you know what's described as the first thing that God does? Welcomes us. He welcomes us. And it's, we're told, Isaiah writes about this. And then Revelation, where you talked about the tree and all that, in Revelation mm-hmm. 21, with there being no more death. Yeah. One of the things that it says that God does, the first thing he does is get up off of his throne, and he comes and he wipes away all of our tears. Like Ash Wednesday when we oh. put the cross. <laughs> yeah, you get the ashes imposed where somebody wipes the, the cross onto your forehead. But in this case, it's going to be God himself who comes and wipes away all of your sadness, all of the reasons for your tears. And you know, I love that because when I was growing up as a kid, when I would hear of heaven, I always imagined that it was basically going to be like, you know, sitting in church, sitting in pews, and all we do is just worship and sing and play harps. And in my mind back then, that was really, that sounded kind of boring. And that God was just going to sit back and be like, okay, worship me now. (laughs) And, And be kind of like still unapproachable because he's so amazing. And the way that the Bible describes us getting to heaven, the first person to do anything is him. So he doesn't, you know how Jesus, when you imagine Jesus, he's like a servant and he loves and he washes feet and he does all of these things for the, for the people that are sad to comfort them and all that. Like even in heaven, he still is serving. He gets up off the throne and comes and wipes away our tears. Like that's pretty odd. Can you imagine God wiping away your tears? Like how, how awesome that's going to be? You'd be happy. No more mm-hmm. pain. That's no right. more grief, no more sadness. Yeah, that's the promise of Revelation. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He makes all things new, and it's just abundant life everywhere, all the time. There's no. We talked about um, the tree of life being on both sides. Another thing it says is that 
the the plants give their fruit in every season. Why is that a big deal? Because everything grows. It mm-hmm. brings life, not just like when winter comes, plants die. Yeah. It still grows. But in heaven, it's everything always grows. growing. It's always life. There's no more seasons to remind us of death in heaven. That's why, that's what John, who wrote the book of Revelation, the apostle John, that's what he's getting at. Like everything is just good. It's full throttle good all the time. No death, no bad stuff. That stuff's gone. Wouldn't yeah. he be jealous if, if he was on an island in isolation and all of a sudden he's just writing down all these things of what heaven will be like? Gosh, and you know, that's true. So John, very good. John, when he wrote Revelation, had been sentenced and banished off to an island called Patmos. And so he had been tortured. He'd had a lot of really awful things done to him when he wrote the book of Revelation. And so God was kind enough to give him a vision of what was coming for him. And so you can imagine if you've gone through all that pain and all that suffering and all that, you know, trial and tribulation or whatever word you want to use for it, like to know that someday the God of heaven is going to wipe away your tears. Like John was, oh, I don't even know, probably 80 or 90 years old when he wrote the book of Revelation. And it had been, I don't know, 50 30, 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, he hadn't seen him in all that time and he endured so much suffering. So for God to give him a vision that one day his tears were gonna be wiped away and all of his suffering was gonna be made right, I imagine for John, who was still suffering when he wrote that book, it would have been cool for to see God come and love him like that. Yeah, go ahead. Also, you don't have to raise your hand, just talk. <laughs> also, all those years of just being on this island and being tortured and all that. Mm-hmm. He must have just been like, God, why have you done this to me? Mm-hmm. You went away and now I'm being tortured and I'm off at this island now. What do you, how do you think, what do you think he thought about all that? How, how do you, how could, how could John have gone through all of those really hard things and still loved God and not said, God, where have you gone? You must hate me. Because God had changed him earlier, mm-hmm. and he's still with him. God sent the Holy Spirit once he had went to heaven to change people's hearts, and it's still with us to this very day. <laughs> That's a better answer than I would have given. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, I mean, God is with him through all of it. It's like there's so many of those apostles that went through like crazy suffering, and it's, it's bizarre. You watch them getting, like Paul and Silas, getting whipped. Like, they're in prison. They're going through all the stuff, and they're singing to God, and they're just rejoicing, and they know that all of that suffering makes them more like who? God. Jesus. More like Jesus, who suffered for us, who gave everything for us. And so all of those guys were like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to suffer. But compared to what God has given me, compared to what John saw was in store for him in the book of Revelation, all that suffering is like, it's not good. You know, you don't, you don't enjoy it. You it's perfectly fine to cry about it and to ask God to make it stop. But in the final analysis, and and once, once you measure what do we get in Christ versus what it might cost us in Christ? The two will never be comparable. What we get in Christ is so much better than anything it might ever cost us. And I think you're right. God had given John the Holy Spirit inside of him so that he could deal with it really good, Leah. God already died, so our cost is done. That's right. That's right. 
He gave us an opportunity to go to heaven mm-hmm. when we're sinners. That's right. And we deserve not to go to heaven. Why don't we deserve to go to heaven? Why don't you think? Because we've been sinning. Throughout. What's what's so bad about sin, Leah? Well, it's just Satan <laughs> coming back to his old tricks. <laughs> But what is so bad? Like, why do you think God would be really hurt or heartbroken or even angry about sin? Because he's gave them the opportunity to come to him, and mm-hmm. they've chose not to. Mm-hmm. So he feels hurt. But what does sin hurts God, but what else does sin do? Sin also makes us sad. It makes us mm-hmm. ashamed. It makes the world do. yuckier. It makes us yuckier. And God loves us and he loves our neighbors too much to not care that we're wrecking the world, right? And it's it's like we're rebelling against him. He's this, He's I, I remember giving this illustration in a sermon one time, Leah. It was right after we bought Dutch, which is our dog who's now, how old is he? Eight, seven or eight? <laughs> eight. Yeah, he's a little bit younger than you are. And so when we first got Dutch, I was preaching a sermon and I said, you know, imagine if I got a dog, a little puppy. And like, do you remember watching the video when I surprised everybody with Dutch and Caleb and Jacob went in the room and they were like, oh my goodness, dad got a dog. I think. You were like a tiny little toddler. But anyway, they were so excited. And that's like part of, part of the joys of being a father is like, you want to give your kids good gifts that make them smile. Like there's nothing better for your mom and me that when we watch you just filled with joy for good things, like that's the best gift in the world to a parent is to watch you light up. And and so on that day that we got that dog, you know, Caleb and Jacob are on top of the moon. They're laughing and giggling and playing and wrestling with this puppy. But now imagine that that, that Dutch got really mean and attacked Jacob and mauled him. And just did terrible things to Jacob. How much would I love Dutch? You would not like him. You'd give him away. you give him away. Or put him down. Yeah. And, and that's... Be the pound. The, and the analogy, that's kind of how we play into the story, right? God, do you know why God made humanity? So he can love someone like us. Yeah, well, he wanted to share his love, but we were a gift to his son. Like that was the whole point. Like when Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, he talks about how grateful he is for the people that the father had given him. And we're going to be like the church is called the bride of Jesus. We, we were given to him, right? We were a gift to him. And what did we do? We, we were that, that dog who thought, you know what? I'm, I'm entitled to attack my master. I, I'm going to turn on my master. And it ended up costing the master's son, his life. Now he chose to give his life because he loves us so much, which is wild. That shows like, I mean, I would never, (laughs) if somebody does that to one of my kids, the idea that I'm going to, to then celebrate them and redeem them like that, the mercy of God is so amazing because you think, oh, he should just destroy all of humanity because they did that to his son. They spat in his face. They, they put him on a cross. They wrecked the world and all of his people. They've persecuted through all these centuries. Like, it's amazing that God doesn't say, you know what? Like, I created them as a gift for my son to love, to be in purity, to make a world that was beautiful and they've ruined it. And yet God, rather than pouring out his wrath, which we would deserve, right? 
decided that he was going to rescue us. It wouldn't be much of a gift to Jesus if he had to die because of us. Yeah, right? But think about that. That's another thing that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. Like when, when Jesus looks at you, Leah, he says, you're worth it. That's pretty wild, right? Like imagine the God who created the stars in the sky, all the planets, everything, like these, this amazingly powerful, beautiful God. And when he looks at you and everything Out about you, people. he says, yeah, and, and, and just all of his people, but he says, you're worth my life, which means you are so unbelievably precious that in the sight of God. so powerful would die for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I mean, if, if a king said, I'll give my life for Leah, or the president of the United States says, oh, yeah, I'll jump in front of a bullet for Leah, it would be like, what? No, you're the president. You're the king. You can't do that. And now imagine infinitely greater God said, I'll jive in front of the bullet for Leah. That's how much God loves you. You'll die for one person out of the whole yeah. nation. Which means if you ever get to a point where you think I'm no good, what would God say to you? You sinned, but you're still, I love you in my eyes. Yeah, how precious are you in the sight of God? What's your price tag? You cost a lot. Infinite. What did God have to give for your life? His life. His life. So whenever you stop and think, oh, I'm no good, or this person said that about me, it's all true, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good, which everybody on planet Earth comes into those seasons where you're like, oh, Gosh, what have I done? Who am I? What am I worth? God looks at you and says, throw those opinions in the garbage. I am telling you what you're worth. I would give my son on a cross for you. That's how precious you are. And here's the other cool part. He knows what you will be one day. He gets to see 200 years into the future when you're in glory and you're in heaven with him. And he gets to see you radiant and filled with the righteousness of Christ, dazzling and beautiful and growing and full of life. And it's not just us all broken and messy in this world, selfish and sin-absorbed and all that stuff in this world that he gets to see. He gets to see what he's going to make of us. And in that case, so incredibly beautiful that God God doesn't make bad deals. He knows that what. Some of us are going to go to heaven, so he loves us for changing our hearts and mm-hmm. going to heaven by following and having faith in him. That's right. That's right. And that's what he wants. You know, there's an old line. So tell, me if you, tell me if you know what this means. That says, God is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied in him. He's happy when we... Rejoice in him and mm-hmm. That's he's it. most satisfied with us when we rejoice in him and love him. One hundred percent. God so God as our Father is most glorified, most honored, most exalted, happiest, like you said, when we are just rejoicing in him, when we're happy with him. It's like, you know, today before we came here to record the podcast, Nathan, our six year old son, came across the room to mom and says, I want to snuggle with you, which that's becoming increasingly rare, right? Mm-hmm. What was mom's response? Okay. You want to snuggle with me? Yay! Because we don't get that very often. 
But when you have a child who loves you enough and is, isn't coming after something, because about like five seconds after that, he's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> so there may have been ulterior motives to the snuggling. But when your kid comes to you with no motive and just wants to be with you because they love you, there's nothing better as a parent. And like God so desperately, and by the way, to be close to him is the best thing for us. And he knows that. But God, like when you draw near to him, he's so thrilled. One, because he loves you. And in that love, he knows the best thing for you is to be close to him. Right? And that's the best thing for us. Totally. Totally. Like when you're close to God, when you're recognizing that he's like crazy in love with you, all the garbage of the world doesn't matter as much. Right? Like you've got the love of God Almighty. It puts everything else into like, it makes everything else look smaller, right? It makes life happier. The most powerful thing on earth mm -hmm. and in heaven and everywhere, really. <laughs> and, and chose you, right? He could have created anything he wanted to. He could have, he, I mean, imagine what God could do because he's limitless. You know what he chose? Leah Caston Smith. Out of all people who are so sinning and yeah i mean like there's going to be lots of us like, in heaven but god chose leah he could have made anybody he could have made any kind of creature but he made leah cast and smith and said I, I want this one this one i love to pieces i'll give my life for her and i mean you're part of a bigger church because god died for all of us but if it was just you he would have died for you i would have been so loved if it, if he died just for me. You love just as much. It's a true story. All right, what are the questions you got? Good question. How is God so merciful to save us even when we're about to die and we've been sinning our whole life? All right, so the question is, why does God still love us even when we're rebelling like right up until the point of death? Like on the cross, there are two people next to him and okay. he said, I want to see you. I want to be so, in the kingdom of God. A, man, that's a great question. You know, and I've talked about this before on the podcast with Will. But that moment when you have the thieves on the cross, that is the, the simplest expression of the gospel that I think is in the whole Bible, right? Because what we want to say is you have to be good enough to go to heaven. You have to do stuff. You have to, you have to check boxes to be able to get into heaven. But now let me, let's tell the story. You have two thieves on crosses next to Jesus, right? One of them just makes fun of Jesus and never stops, and he's, he's not a very nice man. His partner in crime, and they're described as being thieves, so they steal stuff. They're murderers, so they kill people. And they're insurrectionists, which means they're trying to overthrow the Roman government and tyrants and everything else, right? Those are the people on the cross, and this guy says to his other friend, Basically, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, stop. Like, don't do that to Jesus. And he says these things. He says, we deserve what we're getting, and he is a righteous man. So what does that mean? We're sinners. He recognizes, hey, I, we deserve to die. But this guy, he's good. He's done he, nothing wrong. Right. He's done nothing wrong. He is a sinless man. He recognizes that. And then he says this, and I want you to think about what this means. He says, Lord which is kind of interesting that he calls him Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now think about how weird that is, that you're on a cross, you're hours away from dying, right? You know you're going to die. 
and you say to somebody, hey, when you become king, I want you to remember me. Why would that be so weird? I want you to think about why would it be crazy? I want you to imagine this. Like somebody shoots me in the head and I've got six more breaths, right? And you say to me, hey, remember me when you become president of the United States. Why would you, how, why would you say that to a man who's about to die? Because you want the most powerful person in the United States to. But if Jesus is about to die, what kingdom is he going to have? That means that, that thief on the cross believed that Jesus was going to heaven. And he wanted to be remembered there. Yeah. He believed that Jesus, that death didn't own Jesus, that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, that he was going to reign in heaven. And so when that thief, it's crazy talk to say to a dying man, remember me when you become king, unless you believe that that man is going to defeat death, right? He's going to conquer death. Does that, am I making sense? Are you following me? Yeah. Are you sure? Ask me the question. What are you not getting? Um, like if I said to you, hey, in 120 years, I want you to make me waffles. Would you be like, okay, yeah, I'll make you waffles in 120 years. What's your answer going to be? Uh, okay. Are you going to be around in 120 years? No. Why not? Because you're going to be dead. Okay, so why if I'm saying that to Jesus, hey, remember me when I come in remember me when you come into your kingdom, he's dying. Like he's going to be dead. What good is it if he says, okay, I'll remember you. I'm like, he's going to be dead, which means the only way that he could become king and remember the thief on the cross is if he died and then rose from the dead. That's it. And goes to heaven, right? Like, so, so you have to have a belief in the resurrection. But think about how simple that is. That thief on the cross, what good works did he do his whole life that we know of? Nothing. Now, and what did he get down from the cross and lead a Bible study and get baptized and do all these great things to earn heaven? Nope. What could he do? Nothing. He, he's about to die. He could repent for his sins. That's it. And then say to Jesus, the only thing I can do is trust in you to be merciful to me. So I'm putting my whole life in your hands. Lord, remember me. It's like, I'm trusting you. When you come into your kingdom, don't forget about me. Rescue me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's wild. Like the guy didn't do anything but put his trust in Jesus. And Jesus, from the words of mouth of God himself, said, that's enough. You're going to be with me in heaven today. You, you didn't get baptized. Well, that's all right. Six words brings him to heaven, yeah. which is way more powerful than six words. Right? And it's, it's just saying, God, I trust you with my life. I've made a mess of it. I deserve to die. You're a good, you are good. I am not. I need to trust you with my salvation and any hope of heaven and puts his trust in Jesus. And Jesus says, that's it. That's, that's enough. You know, you're looking for a formula of salvation of how to get to heaven. That was all you needed. We're good. You're coming with me to heaven today. That's the same for other people. That's the same for everybody, right? Jesus talked, and the Gospels, he says, it's faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain, right? 
So faith, trusting in God, that is the key to get to heaven. That is the key to being a disciple. And it's when you say, you know what? It's not me steering my life anymore. I'm no longer in control. I'm surrendering over to you. That's when, just like you said earlier, what happens when you say to God, my life is yours. I'm trusting in you for salvation. What happens? Your heart changes. Your heart changes. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. That's right. And now... Very good. And now all of a sudden, what do you want to do with your life? All of a sudden, your desires change, so you want to be like God. Right. And so on that cross, if that thief could have gotten down, we know that Jesus saw that he was sincere in his repentance. If that thief had survived the cross, his life would have been radically changed, and he would have done a lot of good things, right? Because his heart was changed. And that's all we have to do is trust in Christ, and then the Spirit comes and changes us. And so when you talk about people on your deathbed, why does God, why is he so merciful? It goes back to what we talked about a minute ago, because God sees what we will become. In heaven, what do you think that thief on the cross is like right now? In heaven. Wonderful. Happy. Sinless glorifying God, worshiping God, thrilled, so full of joy and peace and love. He's a radically different man because Jesus made him a radically different man, right? And so it's like, I remember, you know, our granny passed away last year, right? To -hmm. cancer. She's in heaven now. But I remember when I was actually your age, actually, let me think, I was 12 years old, so pretty close to your age. My mom caught St. Louis encephalitis, which is a disease where you get inflammation of the brain and it makes you really sick. But it also does crazy things to your brain. And I remember I came home from school one day and it was my birthday and she was so sick that she just put the presents and the cake down on the table and had to like barely able to make it back to her bedroom and she collapsed. And it was really scary. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like, what, what's going on? And we took her to the hospital, and they filled her full of all kinds of IVs and drugs and finally figured out that she had this disease, which was really dangerous. But because her brain was so inflamed by the sickness, she would say and do things that was like, ooh, that's not like granny. That's, she's really sick. I mean, she would say things that were mean, she would, you know, kind of scream when she was unhappy about having socks on or take the socks off and hot and cold and all these kinds of things, which, you know, as a young kid, I couldn't make sense of. But I remember thinking like my dad going into the room and looking at the the wife that he loved, right, his, his wife of so many years, and he wasn't like, oh, oh my goodness, this behavior's unacceptable. Why not? Why would he not be like, that's gross. How could you possibly act like that? I'm done with you. Because he loves her. Because he loves her. Even if she sins like uh, us, mm-hmm. he will still love her like God does. To yeah, us. right. But he also knows this is not really who she's made to be. This is not really her. There's a sickness in her that is making her act like this. But I know that if she walks through the path and receives the medicine, it's going to restore her to the person that I know is in there, the the wife that I married and that I love. And for us, it's even more so because we're like spiritually dead. But when Jesus looks at us, he knows like we've, we're pretty corrupt, like we're infected with sin. But when he looks at us, he sees a different person that he knows will be in glory. 
He knows what we're capable of if we will just receive him and be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And so why would Jesus take somebody who's a, a terrible murderer or a terrible sinner and say, I can clean that up and make you absolutely beautiful? He knows he can do that, right? Because he loves us. That's right. But if you know that somebody's capable of being this amazingly beautiful person like the thief on the cross that we just talked about in heaven right now, absolutely amazing and beautiful, well, now, good grief, I want to save this person because I know that inside of them, no matter how sick they are and all their sin and everything else, that behind that is something really beautiful. God, in his mercy, can wipe all that away and bring us from death to life and wipe all of our sin as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, and to make us totally filled with his goodness. And that's cool. All right. Any, any more on that? Or you got another question? I've got another question. All right. Let's bring on some more questions. Why is life so difficult even though we're, we have faith in God? You mean like why do we suffer? Yes. Well, there's two parts of redemption. So we're in a fa- what's a fallen world. You know what that means? It's like, difficult. It's yeah. stuck. So remember when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God said, like, here's, here's going to be the problems for the world. And the, it's interesting because, like, for, for females, well, do you know the two curses that he gave to Eve? No. He said there's going to be increased pain when what happens? And the baby's born. That's right. Increased pain in childbirth. And then the other thing he says is, you're going to love your husband, but he's going to rule over you. And so think about that. For the woman, the great curses, the great consequences of the fall are my babies and my husband. So it's all family. And she's like, he's like, you're going to want to have a really beautiful family, but it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. And then for the man, well, the man goes out and creates and produces and works and labors. And so God comes and says, you know, you're going to go work the ground and it's going to grow thorns for you. It's, in other words, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to sweat to make your bread. You're going to have to do all those things. And no matter how hard you work, you're still going to return to the dust and you're going to die. And so the reason, like, why would God do that? When God made humanity, it was God who reigned over man and woman who were called to fill the earth and subdue the earth and reign over all the creatures, right? And what happened at the fall is you had a creature who came to the woman who deceived the man who then blamed God for giving him a woman. It turned everything upside down. You see that? And so because man rebelled against God up the chain, right? He rebelled upward against God. Now God's like, okay, you get to experience that. And now creation is going to rebel against you. It used to be that, well, in Eden, everything went well. Everything was fine. Nothing rebelled. Yeah, like very much like heaven. Nothing rebelled against you. But if you want to go the way of challenging authority, you get to experience what that's like because you're supposed to have authority over the earth, but now the earth is going to rebel against you. You. Right? No! (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so what happens is, when God comes into our lives and changes our heart, he gives us a heart that's like fixed. Now we want to do what God says, right? The authority structure is fixed. Okay, now man or woman wants to do what God is calling them to. 
but there's still the problem that the earth is not fixed. And so when you read the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. during all of this time, because of God's patience and because he wants to save so many, time stretches out and he calls us to come to himself. And so he saves individuals, but it's not until the very end of redemptive history when you get to the what's called the apocalypse or the book of Revelation that God comes and he will do the same thing, but for the world. There will be no more sin or rebellion in the world. Paul talks, the apostle Paul says, it's kind of weird, but he says, all of creation groans. You know what groaning means? That's it. That's it. Like, oh, come on. So creation's groaning, and it says like a woman in childbirth. Why, why would Paul say that? He's saying the effects of the fall that made childbirth painful for the woman, creation is going through that same thing. But what happens after childbirth? What, is, what do you get in, in reward for going through the pain of childbirth? A baby. A baby, which is new life. It's a new beginning. And so when it talks about how the creation is in childbirth and it's groaning and it wants something new, it's like creation doesn't like the fall. <laughs> it, it's no good for the fall either. Like the world wants to be put back right and it's in labor and it's going to give birth. There's going to be a new life to come, not just for us, but God's going to make the world new again. And in that day, all pain will go away. That's one part of that answer. The other part of that answer is Jesus himself. Like Jesus had, my goodness, he had the spirit in him. He's, he's a part of the Trinity. He's Perfect. the son. He's part of, you know, with the spirit and the father, perfectly one God. And he's absolutely perfect. And how did the world treat him? Like some other random person like the thieves. Right. Yeah. He didn't get special privilege. The world was hard on him. Humanity was hard on him. He knew what it was like to be homeless. He knew what it was like to struggle and to be hungry. And He experienced what Eve did and Adam. That's felt. right. He knew temptation. He never, he never failed to it. Like he was always sinless. But he experienced pain and he experienced suffering. And you know what pain and suffering made him do? It made him. More powerful. More in love with us. It made, it made him one. Good. It made him relate to us. So like now when you pray to God, guess what? He's been there. You'll never be hungry and pray to a God who can't relate to that. You'll never be betrayed by a friend who, and pray to a God who can't relate to that. You'll never be, you know, suffer people saying terrible things about you. He can relate to that. Like there's nothing you can experience in life where when you pray to God, you know, and you're crying Every other religion, you're praying to some god or gods that are like, mm, tough, you know, I'm a god, I never have to suffer. But we, as Christians, pray to a god who knows suffering and has defeated it. Like, he's prepared a place for us where all that is wiped away. But in the meantime, when we go through suffering, it makes us more like Jesus. And it makes us be able to, to appreciate the fact that he's redeemed it all. There's coming a day you know, like we talked about earlier, there's coming a day where, you know, all the glory and all the good stuff we're going to receive is going to make all these little sufferings that we have in this life look petty, small, right? Like just imagine receiving 
more and more of who God is for all of eternity, sharing in his glory like Thessalonians tells us, like we're going to become more like him. When we see him, we'll become partakers of his divine nature, the Bible says. First John says, when we see him, we will become like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's like the heart of Christianity. You ever you ever notice that when you see something that you really love, like you're, you're big into the Harry Potter books right now? Mm-hmm. This girl just finished all seven books. Pretty amazing. But, like, don't you notice that when you find characters in there that you really like, you want to be more like them? Mm-hmm. I want to be like Hermione. Yeah, I could see you as a Hermione. You, you got some Hermione in you, yeah, for sure. But imagine that now with God. Like, if you see Hermione as, like, beautiful and it makes you want to be like her, imagine seeing God and how much you would want to be like him when you see him for how kind he is and how merciful and joyful and funny and all the things that God is. When you finally get to see him, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there's nothing more beautiful in the entire universe. I want to be like you. I'd want to be like him way more than I'd want to be like Hermione. (laughs) Right? That's true. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Hermione's pretty cool, but you can't, I mean, she can't compete with God. And so that's the kind of the point of even in the Christian life here in this world, even before we get to heaven, we get to, to read scripture and the stories about who he is. We get to know just, you know, not face to face yet, but we get to study about our God. We get to see him for who he is. We get to read all these stories about how awesome Jesus is. And you know what that should make us want to do if the spirit's in us and we want to surrender our lives and to to say to God, like, you're in control, do with me whatever you want, and the Spirit comes into us and dwells. Like, the more we get to see how beautiful God is by the power of the Spirit working in us, guess what happens? We become more like God. More like Him. That's right. All right, what other, what, is that good? You got any follow-up questions on that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. What um, else you got? Do you know what the most common way of people coming to Christianity is? The most common way of people coming to Christianity. What would you guess? Well, like going to church, but there's multiple ways. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. So going to church is a big part of it, but that doesn't. You know, you know this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a pastor's kid doesn't make you a Christian. Leah, I'll tell you, it's it's really interesting. But the let me give you two answers. Okay, the most common reasons why people come to faith. in in our community here is either they've made an absolute mess of their lives and they feel worthless and they need hope. They're looking for some sense of value. They've been rejected by society. They're outcast and they desperately need a God who loves them and can look past all that and give them dignity and forgiveness. Or it's people who've chased down everything and they've gotten all the wealth and they've gotten the big jobs and they've gotten the promotions and the power and everything else. And they get to the end of it and they realize this is it. This doesn't satisfy my heart. Like this just may, I get money, but I just want more. I get power and I just want more. It never satisfies. It's never enough. And so for both of those people, the people that are, you know, crashing on the rocks or the people who have reached the height of the mountain and realized this isn't all that great. It's like, you've got this hole in your heart that is always growing. And there's only one being in the entire universe that can fill a hole that's always growing. And that's an infinite God that you'll never run out of. Like he's, he's big enough to fill any hole. And, and it's easier if we're sinful, which we all are, mm-hmm. 
But if there's one season that you messed up really mm-hmm. bad, you if you know that God is a forgiving God, then yeah. it would be you wouldn't have to feel pain because you know if you just repent, He will forgive you. Yeah, I think your answer is better than mine <laughs> and much shorter. Um, I think that's right. You know, you have to realize your need for God. You know, a lot of people who think that they have it all together will never realize that they need God, but it's when you stop and you recognize like, hey, we're, we're all going to die. What happens to all my stuff then? Like, do I lose it all? All my relationships, what do they mean at that point? Like all of my wealth goes away. Everything that I spend my whole life building, what's the meaning of it? And it's like when you start thinking about all that stuff or when you make a mess of your life and you realize that there's a God who loves you in the middle of that, like, All of those questions will make you go, there has to be more to life than just the junk that's in front of my eyes. There has to be a God. There has to be a reason. There has to be a purpose beyond all this. And so people come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons, but it's usually out of a sense of humility. You know what humility means? There's a great line about humility that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less right and it's it's when you come to the point where you're like you know what like i am not the god of the universe and i'm not my own savior i can't redeem myself i can't rescue myself from death i've made a mess of this and it seems like every time i try to take the reins of my life and pretend like i'm in control of everything i very quickly realize that i'm not in control and i would be much better off in the hands of god this has led me to nothing yeah yeah life i mean if you if it's like Oh, let me get more money. Well, for what? Let me get more power. For what? Like you just end up ultimately with a life that doesn't impact people and the grave is going to swallow it all. But Jesus conquered all that stuff. And in him, you have everlasting treasure, everlasting value, everlasting significance and dignity and love. And it's usually when you come to the end of yourself that people come and receive Jesus. Got it. Nice. Good question. Do you have any more? Mm-hmm. All right. More questions. More questions. <laughs> How can we listen to God and grow with him just for one day? What's a healthy strategy to grow with God? That is a great question. What do you think the answers are? I bet you know the answers. A good strategy to do daily is maybe you can have quiet time with the Lord mm-hmm. and have a time of praise. Yeah. What do you, what do you, when you say a time of praise, what are you thinking? Shut my room, turn on karaoke. A karaoke? Are you going to sing with it? That's cool. No, I don't sing with it. Well, that's, that's karaoke. You mean just turn on music? Yeah. Okay. Karaoke is like when there's music and you're singing the lyrics. Oh. So, like, getting in and just playing praise music. Who's your favorite? Ellie Holcomb. I knew it. I was wondering <laughs> if it still was. So, Ellie Holcomb is kind of a folksy, bluegrassy kind of a feel of Christian. And she's just such a sweet person. I le- and her lyrics are super artistic. And Leah is bent. Leah, you've been a fan of Ellie for, gosh, a couple of years now, it seems like. Yeah. Two, maybe. Yeah. I love it. I love that you listen to her. It's cool. Basically, it gets back down to when, if you read your Bible, it's to get your eyes on him. If you're listening to praise music, it's to get your eyes on him. If you're taking quiet time, it's to get your eyes on him. So 
the whole idea of becoming like him, that's what the Bible repeatedly says, that you're beholding the glory of God so that you can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Or in John, we already talked about, when you see him, you'll become like him. The key to becoming more of a solid Christian in your walk is not trying harder. It's not check boxes. It's not all that stuff. It's keeping your eyes on him because, like we talked about, if you see him as the most beautiful thing or person or being in the universe, you will become more like him. More like him. Like when Peter's um, on the water, God mm, says, yeah. don't take your eyes off of me. And Very he good. does because of the waves and he sinks. Yeah, that's right. So if you want to know what the key to any Christian discipleship is, whether it's prayer, fasting, reading the Bible, quiet time, praise, music, whatever, it's get your eyes on Jesus. Because when your eyes are on Jesus, all the storms and everything else around you don't look so threatening because you've got a God who's got your back. And when you see how beautiful he is, you can't help but become like him. And that's, that's the mission of our church. Did you know that? To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, your life will change. But it's the relationship part. You got to keep your eyes on him. You'll be a new person. Yep. Like That's Nicodemus, true. like That's God true. says to Nicodemus. It's like the spirit is this power that's in you. It's an animating force. It brings you to life. But you have to fill your mind with who Jesus is for then the spirit to give you power to become more like him. Like the more you see his character, you're like, oh, what would God do in this situation? Well, I know what God would do because I know him and I've gotten to put my eyes on him more and more. And then in that situation, you get to say, okay, what's the right course for me to take? Well, it's to become like him. So let's go. And that's... Follow him. That's it. That's it. All right, what else you got? Last one. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? It could have been another person. Didn't have to be just him. Could have been any other man. Oh, this is this is getting into good theological territory. Good <laughs> question. All right. So let me ask you this question. Let's go back to something that happened in recent history that was really terrible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Holocaust. Do you know what the Holocaust is? Yeah. Have you learned about that? Okay. So this is where the the German Nazis, really evil people. Um, who were led by a really wicked man who put a lot of people to death. And one of the things that he did was he committed a Holocaust against Jewish people and he killed 6 million Jews, okay? So if in the aftermath, okay, you have one side over here and they're trying to figure out how to make peace between the Jews and the Germans. And over here you have, you know, the Jewish contingent and some the leader of the German contingent comes out and says, okay, yeah, we, you know, we killed six million Jews. Um, so we're gonna have Herman here come out, and we'll kill we'll kill Herman. If you're a Jew, how do you feel about that deal? That's not fair. Why not? Because you killed six million of us. We're not gonna kill just one of you. Right. So now you had all of the evil ever done by all of humanity stored up as an offense against God. Right. He made all of these people. So all of the murders, all of the betrayals, all of the adultery, all of the, the racism and hatred, and I mean, stack all that up because that's not just a, it's what you do to other people. You're offending God who loves those people, right? You're offending God because it's his mm-hmm. creation. Would it be okay to say, okay, March Herman out, we'll crucify him? 
Like, no, this this has to be a much bigger sacrifice This ha- in order to pay for all of that because the offense against God is infinite. It's huge. It's massive. It's, it's it, like who could possibly pay the debt that we owe to God? And so when you think about it, if there's an infinite debt to God, what would you need in order to pay an infinite, hint, hint, an infinite debt to God? An infinite savior. Bam. And so you can't just march Sam out there and say, okay, Sam, your death should appease God. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the offense is so much bigger than that. Like the punishment that's been stored up, like all the justice that, that humanity deserves is so much bigger than anything I could pay for. But God so loves humanity and he's infinite. His worth is infinitely more than Sam. He chose, I'll step into the world and I'm the only being capable of swallowing up the justice to save all of you. And so because he's infinitely precious, infinitely valuable. Perfect. He's perfect. He steps in. Now, let me, let me go back into ancient history. If you had a, a horrible thing that one nation did to another nation and you said, oh, we'll give Frank, you know, Frank will die for the sins of our nation. They'd be like, yeah, right. But if you marched out King Frank and you said, our king will die. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you'll give your king away. Okay, maybe we can talk. But now imagine it's not Frank. It's not King Frank. It's God Almighty. God, you right? Like, what more could you need to to square the scales of justice? Like, it's it's way more than enough. He way more than pays for the sin of all humanity because he's God. Like, there's nothing more precious on in the universe. His death would pay for the sins of every person who ever has lived, is living, will live. It's it's an infinite atonement, infinite worth. He's to most pay for powerful. That's it. That's it. And so, yeah, that's a that's a but that's a really good question. That's why God had to die. Because I used to wonder that all the time when I was like first a Christian. I was like, there had to have been another way. Like, why did God have to do this to His Son? And Jesus, remember when He's in the garden when He's mm-hmm. about to get arrested, and He says. I don't want to drink this cup. Well, the cup is talking about the wrath of God, the punishment. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't want to drink from this cup. If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And what's, the, what's his father's answer? Nope. There's no other way. And so Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And then he says, basically, you know what? Leah's worth it. And God, you're my father, and I trust you. That and is worth it. And that's worth it, right? Like, I will follow you because I trust you and you're good, and I will give my life. And by the way, like the whole time that Jesus is prepping to go to the cross, you know what all of his prayers are for on the Mount of Olives and in the Garden of Gethsemane? To for, help these people. Yeah, they're for us. Like even when he's about to die, even when he's about to suffer, even at the last supper when he's giving thanks and breaking bread that's representative of his body and he's giving thanks for pouring out this wine that is representative of his blood, he's giving thanks for what he's about to do. Like why would you give thanks? Because they're for us. He loves us so much. He died for us. That's wild. 
That is totally wild. And so like you can, you can wonder sometimes back to your earlier question. Sometimes we'll have hard times in our life. Sometimes mm-hmm. bad things will happen, but, and we won't be able to explain it. We won't have an answer for why God allowed this, but you know what we can't say? He doesn't love us. He's proven. <laughs> he has so proven how much he loves us. And so that's where faith gets really meaty is when you say, I don't know what he's doing and I don't like it, <laughs> but I know he loves me and I know he's good. I'll be fine. I will walk through this and grab hold of him the whole way. And in the end, you can say what you just said, which is, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. He's got me. And that's that's a life of faith. It's that's a beautiful one. One of the Ellie Holcomb songs, I Will Carry You. Yeah, I love that song. I'm not going to, I'm tempted to like try to sing it. <laughs> it would not go well. But that other song where it was like, you know, talking about how the rivers run through and, and makes a canyon. Yeah, right. So what's a canyon? It's the low spots, but the river's running through there. So anyway, that al- I think the album is called Canyons. So just a shout out to Ellie Holcomb. If you ever do happen to stumble oh, across Ellie this. Ellie Holcomb. Yeah. You've had a big impact on my daughter and your theology of suffering and beauty and all that stuff has really left its mark on my nine-year-old. And I want to thank you for that. She's, she's just beautiful. I'm a fan of Ellie. All right. I am too. And because of that, I'm even a bigger fan because she's made a dent in your life in a good way. It makes me love her more. You know, that's how God works too. When he sees people that make positive impressions on his children, he beams and smiles and rejoices and how we love each other and point each other toward him which is a good motivation for us to go out and love other people because when we lift them up, it pleases God. It makes him thrilled. It makes him smile. It makes him happy with us. And so it's a good motivation to go love other people is to fill God's heart. Because he loves us. He loves us. Bunches and bunches, right? Right. All right. Any last words before we sign off? Nope. I don't think so. All right. We got through this whole episode without me giving away Leah's nicknames. No, no, no. no. I won't. I promised. All right. <sighs> I won't. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to. Dad. <laughs> I'm not I'm going serious to. I'm serious here. I'm telling you, I'm not going to. Okay. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. It was really a privilege to have you on. I'm so, like, as a dad, I just want to say, I'm so impressed with you. I'm really, glad I could be here. I'm glad you were able to be here. So, anyway, I hope that some of this made sense and was edifying. Uh, promise to my daughter that she Changed could be. Changed some hearts. What's that? Changed some hearts, hopefully. That would be amazing if this podcast were able to reach some hearts. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, we want to invite you to do that. We do. We really do. (laughs) He will change you forever and ever and ever. And uh, that's it for this episode of the Out of Water Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us as we continue in our next episode into the Sixth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20. God bless. Bye. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. 
You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.